0: Brick Moon Fiction presents The Golden Pyramid of Arroyo del Toro by Rudolfo A. Serna, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Cheryl's nurse practitioner had told her that she would need to relax if she wanted to get better from what Cheryl had described to her as a minor breakdown while working her office job at an insurance firm. Feeling exhausted and angry at her co-workers and boss, she would go home and cry. Processing the tragic stories coming across her desk, listening on the car radio to the news about white nationalists running amok, cops killing young African-Americans, and environmental catastrophes like oil spills and radioactive leaks causing cancer in newborns. And with homelessness on the rise, she would pull up to an intersection, locking her car doors while people held cardboard signs scrawled with the words, Help me, seeing a young man in soiled clothes, his pants held up with a rope, his shirt ripped in half, and she thought she could smell the piss and shit all over him even with her windows rolled up, with her air conditioner tuned to high in 90-degree weather. The nurse practitioner suggested a change in Cheryl's diet and exercise, so Cheryl started eating organic foods only, started yoga, and took up juicing vegetables. She would shop at the local food co-op and farmer's markets where beautiful people with lean, carefree bodies, seemingly without worries, gathered on the lawn laughing, and Cheryl was resentful of getting older resentful of a lifetime of having to sit in an office with no revolution to define her, unlike the hippies that came before. And as far as she was concerned, her generation had just stood by and let all the destruction she heard about on the car radio happen. There was no meaning to her life, she thought, as if it had been planned out for her by some anagogic machine deciphering thought, set up among the golden altars of a golden pyramid in an invisible land. She didn't normally use Facebook or Twitter, Always insisting that she had no need for such social networks, remembering back to a pre-iPhone age, as her and the rest of her generation seemed to reminisce, while wildly touching the screens of their personal devices, with algorithms pumping through the lines, the blessed transmissions interconnecting with computers and televisions, figuring out what they were thinking. And it had come to a point where the computers were telling its users that they should go outside, that it was okay to turn off and tune in to nature and it was while at her office that the fear gripped her. It was when her boss came in and asked her if she had finished processing some paper when Cheryl turned on him and told him to fuck off. She was called into HR where she was to sit before her boss and a staffer who at first seemed sympathetic to Cheryl's manic behavior, being part mediator and peacekeeper. As the meeting went on and Cheryl continued to unravel, her voice rose higher and got more desperate as she broke down and told her boss that he was full of shit and she couldn't stop herself as word after vulgar word poured out of her mouth as if all the anger and frustration of nearly 20 years of employment came out. And the HR person soon got up after, realizing that the situation needed to end, and Cheryl was asked to leave the office, and to leave the building, and to wait for a call from HR in the morning. When the news came that she was being let go, she was relieved that her years of service had finally come to an end, but disappointed that none of those years had brought her some sympathy from her co-workers and that she was neither loved or admired at the firm. Instead, in the end, she was just a clerk. And despite thinking many times of quitting the job that caused her distress, she did not, as the job market was not kind to the middle-aged. In fact, the job market was not kind to anyone. At three in the morning, waking up, her eyes were wide open after realizing that it was all over at the office building where she had spent a large portion of her life And that there was the fear that she would have to start all over again. A fear that she would have to pull her middle-aged body into another office building to process more paper, moving it from desk to desk, entering information, making copies, filing the endless reams of paperwork. And she knew that there must be something more. She got out of bed and stared at the screen of her slightly used computer, and she thought that maybe she needed a newer one with quicker internet speed, clicking and clicking, moving the mouse faster searching for something meaningful. Cheryl did her morning meditations beneath a dream catcher, among crystals and incense. Cross-legged she sat, hearing the passenger jets overhead, reminding Cheryl of her place below, trying to disconnect from the world, if only for a few minutes each morning. Then came the blessed broadcast from Taos, the podcasts and live streams from Santos de la Fantasma and his temple of the third eye, and she could see the online guru's long silver beard and a red bandana around his head, wearing mad dog shades. The guru could have passed for one of the old savage low-rider cholos from legend except that the guru wore a long white gown instead of the checkered flannel. And indeed, perhaps the guru had once ran with the local east side pachuco gangs of the 80s before finding an old sage in the sandstone temple in a large wide sand-filled arroyo that stretched to the mountains and forest. The guru's transmissions running off the power of solar panels and his young lovers seeking serenity in the fields fed by irrigation waters, channeled by the ditch digger's hand. The Jacove root was delivered by a brown UPS van, and when she got her package from the guru's temple ranch, she made sure to take the cardboard and place it in the blue recycle bin. She opened the one-pound bag of root that she paid $300 for from out of her severance pay, being convinced by the podcasts of Santos de la Fantasma that the root would surely help her. It smelled minty and skunk-like, and attached with the package was a thank-you card hand-signed by the guru himself. The root could be juiced, sprinkled on food, or made into tea while adding ginger to the boiling water for added medicinal qualities and taste. She stared at the screen, searching the different websites, and she had done well to avoid the heavy draw of the machine. But soon enough she was running her fingers along the keyboard, grabbing at the mouse, trying to look up what the Jacove root was made of, but the only information that came up was the name of Santos de la Fantasma, the guru that preached freedom from the confines of office space talking about how Cheryl's generation was neither rich or poor, but programmed to believe that the current reality was the only reality, keeping the third eye closed. But despite all he had said, the root had done nothing for her. She still couldn't find relief, looking at the computer screen, searching for truth, drinking the tea, transmissions from the guru's hidden eyes behind his mad dog shades flashing, pixelated, for as long as the power didn't go out, let down by the promise of inner peace as if enlightenment and nirvana should have arrived with the root, the yoga, the organic food. And she had yet to find a job. And Santos de la Fantasma was touting his life as that of being free, and encouraging his followers to find their genius, to consume the root of the Jacove tree, and then they would be able to see everything. And it was anger that made her strike out against her boss, HR staff, and those she had been intimate with. Her searches online continued, she had been disappointed in the root's abilities, along with the guru's words that seemed empty as he proselytized the benefits of the Jacobi, and a kind of socialist agenda, as if money wasn't important, and faith in American capitalism was truly the demise of her generation and all those that would follow. She had paid him for the root. He's not for real, she thought, a scam artist like all of the others on late-night television and on the internet, just trying to get money from their victims. Santos de la Fantasma had said that there were those who were made of plastic, but it was Santos who was fake, and the comment box flashed before her, and how she got to the comment page she wasn't sure, as if she had unconsciously summoned it, as if the computer had read her mind, and then she took the cursor and clicked into the box. It's fake. Don't buy it, she typed, and that was all she could bring herself to write. She had never left any kind of comment before had never wanted to participate in the trivial conversations taking place online, sharing her thoughts, fearing that they would be used against her. She always sought anonymity, and she had thought that she would be able to remain anonymous in the masses of people that stepped in and out of their offices every day until the day she had decided to show her humanity. And as soon as she did, she was fired for it. She thought she was taking a risk again by expressing her opinion, but she was certain that no one would care anyway, or even notice and she couldn't exactly explain why it was she had broken her own protocol of being a spectator, but then realized that she had been participating all along, and that the computer spoke to her, as it did with everyone, but she figured that anyone who saw the warning might think twice about believing in Santos de la Fantasma's miraculous route. The next night, she drank the wine, getting rid of the last of the Jacove by throwing it from the back step of her house into the bushes. She had lived at the same house for nearly twenty years, and was unable to understand how time had gotten away from her. She was frustrated. Drunkenly, she started to cry, feeling the fear coming on, wondering why her life had never worked out. If she just had a job, then that would be the cure. Her desperation settling in with the wine, filling up her glass while sitting by the window, thinking that she heard a motor rumbling from somewhere down the street, just beyond a neighbor's driveway. She was glad not to be working at the firm anymore, but she did not know what to do next. She stood by the window, looking out to see if she could find the source of the rumble. She heard a neighbor's dog yelping and a horn honking the next street over. And then she went to the living room, where she fell asleep on the couch, watching television, a comedy about war. The next morning, there was a box on her front step. Looking at the label, she recognized the brand as that of Santos de la Fantasma and his Temple of the Third Eye, a communist star with a flashing oculus at its center and still in a haze from the wine the night before, she had to squint to see the package clearly in the morning glare. She had heard of mail bombs put on people's doorsteps, but she did not think of that when she reached down for it. Opening the box, she could see the sheen of the pitch black surface of the plastic bag, taking the package inside. She pulled the bag from the cardboard box and placed it on the kitchen table. Taking a knife she opened it, smelling the thick scent of something sweet and earthly. She saw a piece of paper attached to the package. Unfolding it, she read, Cheryl, we are sincerely sorry that the previous order was not to your satisfaction. You are special to us. Please take this offering as an apology. Due to an incomplete reading of your profile, we had made a miscalculation and sent you the wrong grade of harvested root. This one may suit you better. With our sincere apologies, Santos de la Fantasma. She did not recall seeing the UPS van or hearing the doorbell, and it had been too early for the deliveries that usually arrived in the afternoon. The opened package remained sitting on her table for the remainder of the morning while she got ready and left for her yoga class, where in the middle of the session, the vision of the package on her table came to her while in a downward dog position, and when she got back home, she studied the root in the black plastic sack with the message across its side that read, Please Recycle. There was something different about the black bitter root this time. Its smell was much richer and darker, There was dirt at the bottom of the package, as if the root had just been plucked from the ground the day before. As she drank, the taste was different than what she had remembered, and she could start to feel the calming euphoria of what was in the package. She got online and went to the internet site of the Temple of the Third Eye, the guru's face covered by his mad dog shades, smiling beneath his long beard, and there was an effect on the screen that wasn't there before, an aura of kaleidoscopic waves pulsing in and out. Reaching out, she tried to touch the screen, the colors appearing in 3D pink, yellow, blue, and green. Colors of the elemental. The earth, the air, fire, and water. She went to the comment box to see if her words were still there, and they were, but she would wait before retracting her comment, and see as to whether or not Santos de la Fantasma was for real. And as if the internet searches had suddenly become miraculous, and while looking for jobs to apply for, she came across a slew of possible vocations that seemed to fit her skill set. nonprofits to save the forests, animals, and poor children. She found an herbalist's website describing how the route could only be found in some parts of the southwest, particularly in northern New Mexico and southern Colorado, confirming what the guru had said on his podcasts. She heard the rumble of a motor, and as she went to the living room window, she saw the long body of a mid-1970s automobile, lowered and ominous, sliding beneath the streetlight. She thought she could see the gleam of the demon green paint job with gold metal flake glittering like a mechanical lizard slithering away in the dark. The magic of the machine, the phantasma machina, the ghost machine controlled from inside the fifth element made of ether. She had finally connected with the online community of the Temple of the Third Eye, those that had commented about how much their lives had changed since discovering the route, touting about how remarkable the cabin retreats were including the yoga instructors and the ultra-healthy organic diet served for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All first-timers were invited to a free weekend stay, and she had not remembered such testimonials, pictures, or offers before while researching about the ranch. In fact, it seemed as if she had missed the link altogether and didn't recall the pictures of all those that had taken the offer of a free weekend. People smiling in the bright sunlight among mountains, in a green courtyard stretching, surrounded by vines blooming red, and the guru was among those there. A free weekend in Taos, she had thought, clicking the special offer, and she was routed to the temple's home site where someone at the ranch's main office sent her an email confirming her reservation, things she was only thinking about, popping up on feeds and searches, the ghosts reading her mind, the root keeping her awake late into the night, the third eye opening, and the rumbling of the demon green things slipping away, seeing only a bit of the rear light disappearing. She read the ranch's email, Cheryl, we are so happy that you have decided to take advantage of our free weekend at our retreat, which includes meals and yoga classes. You will also be able to take advantage of the wonderful hiking trails and meditation sessions being offered throughout the day. We look forward to seeing you. She had set the reservation for that weekend, which would be in two days' time, a three-hour ride north of the city. She started getting her things together, pouring herself some fresh-squeezed vegetable juice, while working on a job application that she was getting ready to send, the blaring sun. It was all desert to the mountains of northern New Mexico, traffic on a long highway passing the pueblos and villages that lined the Rio Grande, with fields of corn and animals in the otherwise dry desolation of the llanos where the highway cut through. She would approach the capital, a grand tourist trap. Passing through, she drove further north towards another city where the atomic bomb was created, its legacy both praised and damned by historians and those of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Then she came to a town beside the Rio Grande, a giant casino had taken over, along with the Walmart. While there were those who were wild in the streets, and she would drive straight through and would not stop due to the town's bad reputation, known for its lowriders and the Pachuco tribes grown in the garages and backyards of old families, it was at a stoplight that she caught sight of the green beast, its big block engine attached to a set of dual exhausts roaring as it sped away. And Cheryl thought back to the last couple of nights, remembering the fantastical machine drifting past her driveway seen from her window. Feeling some concern, she quickly dismissed it as coincidence. The last leg of the journey to Taos took her through a canyon on a highway alongside the river in the high desert, volcanic ridges high above her, the reddish-black rock rolling down, and the land opening up into the foothills, eventually bringing her to the edge of Taos, where she was supposed to turn at a certain county road that skirted along the edge of town. She had followed the directions given to her online, but she still required the help of her iPhone's GPS to tell her exactly where to go. The directions led her through winding back roads that took her past fields and tracts of land with grazing cattle. She was not used to the country roads, and her little car rattled on the washboard surface while dust rose up behind her, the GPS leading her to the gate of a property that bordered the forest. There was a fading sign next to the gate that read, Welcome to the Temple of the Third Eye. All are welcomed. Come on in. She drove through the open gate and followed the road that cut between two yellowing fields as it had been another dry summer. She strained looking ahead at the tree line for cars, people, or signs of a building, but did not see anything. Her little car crawled over a cattle guard. She got her first glance at the roof siding, shining between a thick grove of pinyon trees, her heart quickening, continuing on the rutted road. She made a turn, but there were no cars or people. Instead, she saw some wooden fencing with the white paint peeling off it rotting in the sun. She drove to the front of the main ranch house, checking her directions, but she did not get reception in the hills. She got out of her car, perplexed, unable to believe that there was nothing there, that it was a cruel ruse, perhaps even deadly. Yet the moment seemed familiar, the yellowing fields and ranch house, walking up onto the porch with the faded posts that were once stained dark brown. The windows were fogged over with dust and webs, and she peeked in to see some furnishings covered with blankets. She tried to double-check her directions again, but there was still no reception, and she would probably have to go back to the gate that directed her to come on in. God damn it, she said as she turned to walk off the porch, heading back to her car. Third eye, my ass. She was approaching her car when another wave of deja vu swept over her, and she turned toward the end of the broken wooden fencing and saw a sign with the word trail painted on it. She looked at the wide fields, and immense blue sky, almost more sky than earth. She crossed the front yard of the large ranch house and she saw a courtyard with overgrown grass and trellised vines that had grown out of control before dying. The trail climbed at first, then dipped into a deep ravine with the pinyon and pine disappearing from a bed of fine sand, her feet sinking with each step. She was remembering the familiar images of the trail receiving the visions either online or by more subliminal means, but she felt as if she had seen the trail somewhere before. It was all so familiar. Then she saw another sign. Have faith. Keep trying. And she kept going, checking her iPhone for reception, but there was none. The trail got wider, and soon she was walking through a large arroyo that had been forged by storms and floods, and how far and high the arroyo stretched into the forest she did not know but she kept on, until seeing another sign, with the same distinctive style of handwriting and colors. Up in the rocks it read, the temple of the third eye is closer than you think. Limestone protruded out the sides of the large wash, and in the bright sunlight the arroyo was almost white, almost translucent, to where she had to squint her eyes after forgetting her sunglasses in the car. Pulled by the vision into the sands of the arroyo bed, determined to see what awaited her at the end, and she could only imagine what forces must have created the vein from rock and red earth, the torrents that must have crashed down out of the mountains, ripping trees from their footings, before the droughts put an end to the cascading runoffs, the sand and limestone left exposed after millennia. The water will run again, she thought. There were names and dates chiseled into the stone, marks indicating the lives of those in the sand, those lost, or those making love in the rocks. The symbols telling her where the temple would be, and where maybe Santos de la Fantasma was directing the traffic for all those seeking. Then she saw the entrance in the face of the carved stone at the edge of the arroyo, among the names decorating the surface around a hole just big enough for a person to fit through, with a set of steps leading to it. Slowly she ascended to the opening, thinking she felt a crackling sensation of electricity, hearing a ringing in her ears, bringing herself to enter the small cave, where inside she could see that the walls had been chiseled to widen it out. There was a small faded wood altar, and an old blue carpet that she felt beneath her. The tiny shrine had been neatly put together, and on the shrine's wall over the altar were the images of Christ and Buddha, and other images Cheryl did not understand. Egyptian, Hindu, and Tibetan signs of the Eastern world, esoteric symbols that she could not possibly have known, prayer candles brought there to petition the spirits with offerings. As she studied the relics, she heard the shuffling of feet entering through the entrance. Yet she was not startled when Santos de la Fantasma stepped out from behind her, recognizing him immediately. She smiled at him as he orbited around. This is our temple, he said, looking as he had appeared on the website, with mad dog shades, a green bandana instead of red, wearing the white signature robe, the sunlight giving the only light, glistening off the frames of the faded pictures of Ra, the sun god. There was sand and white dust on the rug, and in the corner of the miniature sanctuary, in the shadows, was a small plastic broom with missing bristles. He took the broom and started sweeping. This is our temple. We must keep it clean because it belongs to all of us. So, when any of us come in, we always make sure to sweep, he said. It was only then that Cheryl realized that nothing seemed normal, that nothing made sense anymore, that the moment had already been previewed somewhere, somehow seen all before in lucid dreams, as the guru swept. Is the Chikove here? she asked. Yes, just outside, not far. You came all this way. You must see it, he said, placing the broom back in the corner before heading out to the sunlight. Slowly they descended from the limestone steps, planting their feet in the sand. The guru led her to a trail that took them from the arroyo bed to the limestone ridge above the shrine, and from there she could see the mountains rising just in front of them. She could also see a small grass clearing dug out of a hill scattered with pinyon trees and juniper. And in the clearing, there was a tall, sinuous tree, black and shiny, unlike any other she had ever seen, looking as if it was covered in oil, budding with purple flowers. She went and kneeled beside the gnarled trunk, digging through the dirt until finding the root. Ripping it out of the ground, she began to eat, and wouldn't stop until she was filled with its cure, the third eye throbbing, and she could see the golden pyramid appearing from the ether stretching out in the rocks like a transmitter antenna and the guru sat next to her still with black mad dog eyes smiling at her with the dirt in her mouth kneeling under bending bows and there was the rumble of the holy low rider getting louder the guru's ride getting closer to return him to the temple website where he was due to broadcast while cheryl smiling enjoyed her first free weekend at the ranch before returning to her home in the city a devoted follower devoted to the golden pyramid devoted to the words of Santos de la Fantasma, calling out to his loved ones, the ones helping him to spread the good word. And Cheryl would always comment online from that point on, telling those out there of the miracles of the Chicove and the peace and serenity of the bright white light of the Temple Fantasma Machina, also known as the Temple of the Ghost Machine, the Temple of the Third Eye, also known as the Golden Pyramid of Arroyo del Toro. Rudolfo Serna has a penchant for 70s horror B-movies, psychedelic doom metal, permaculture, and nature worship. A native of northern New Mexico, he's also a husband and a father. Educator and coordinator with the MFA in Creative Writing Program at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. His novel, Snow Over Utopia, is published by Reliquary Press. He is the digital steward of the Mutant Root Continuum at mutantroot.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction Newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.